What does Gabriel say to Daniel? He says, the holy place where the sanctuary is, the temple is, where it's once stood, it will be a place marked by war and desolation. Has that happened? If you know the history of the Temple Mount to this day, it is one of the most contested pieces of property in the world. 37 acres that people have given their blood for. Welcome to Search the Scriptures, the Bible teaching ministry of Dr. Carl Brogi, Senior Pastor of Community Bible Church of Beaufort, South Carolina. We're in the prophetic section of the book of Daniel, that section comprised of chapters 6 through 12. Within these chapters, Daniel has a total of four dreams. And as we pick up today in the final verse of chapter 9, in a message entitled, The Great Calamity, we see the prophet addressing the up-and-coming tribulation. Take your Bibles this morning. Would you turn to Daniel chapter 9? Daniel 9, in many ways, is the high prophetic point in the book of Daniel, the Mount Everest of prophecy within this great prophet's writings. And it's an important chapter because it's God's outline, God's blueprint for the nation of Israel. This is the fourth sermon here in the ninth chapter. I will review briefly this morning, but some of you might want to go back and listen online at the Search the Scriptures app and listen to the messages so that you can really understand all that is happening. This is a very, very important program that God has outlined here for the Jewish people, for the people of Israel. Now, a lot of people have discounted the Jews in our day, even Christian people. And they say, well, God's done with the Jewish people that the church has replaced the Jewish people. Nothing could be further from the truth. About 40 years ago, in a very luxurious suburb outside of Chicago, a new residential community was being built, and some Jewish families began to buy some of the homes. And then more and more of them came, and some of the anti-Semites tried to figure a way to keep them out. And so the minister in a nearby church put out on a marquee the sermon title, How to Get Rid of the Jews. Well, that topic created a stir, and the church was packed that Sunday. And a Jewish rabbi came with the press, and the pastor opened with a reading from the prophet Jeremiah. Thus says the Lord, who gives the sun for light by day, and the fixed order of the moon and the stars for light by night, who stirs up the sea so that its waves roar. The Lord of hosts is his name. If this fixed order departs from before me, declares the Lord, then the offspring of Israel also shall cease from being a nation before me. The rabbi quickly understood his point. It is impossible to rid the Jewish people any more than you can get rid of the sun or the stars and the moon out of the skies. You cannot destroy Israel. God has a plan for the people of Israel. And just as He used them the first time to bring the coming of the Messiah, He will use them again a second time. Now, prophecy is wonderful because it's really history pre-written. And some of the most specific prophecies in all of the book of Daniel are found here in the ninth chapter. And really, many specific prophecies, as far as I know, this is the only mathematical prophecy in all of the Bible. Now, let me bring you into the context because there are new people here every week. And then I know, as the New Testament affirms, that repetition is the master teacher. And I understand most pastors would not teach Daniel 9. When they teach the book of Daniel, they don't teach this passage, maybe the first 19 verses. 
because it's so difficult. But God has called us to teach the whole counsel of Scripture, and one-third of the Bible is prophetic in nature. And we can't not ignore the prophecy passages. And some of you are brand new to the Bible, and you might be a little overwhelmed by this text. But don't be. God has something here for you that you can take away today as well. Now, if you remember the first 19 verses, this prophet is in prayer and fasting in his Fasting and prayer is prompted by a prophecy that, Daniel, that Jeremiah the prophet had written of, that the deportation there in Babylon would last 70 years. And we studied the chronology of the text, and it clearly indicates that 67 of the 70 years had already transpired. And so here's Daniel. He's seeking forgiveness for the nation. He's seeking to find God's will. And specifically as it relates to what will happen after the Babylonian captivity is over. And in verse 20, he has an encounter with an angel most of us know from the New Testament, the angel Gabriel, same angel. And we read here in verse 20 and 21, Now while I was speaking and praying and confessing my sin and the sin of my people Israel and presenting my supplication before the Lord my God in behalf of the holy mountain, the holy mountain is Mount Moriah where the Temple Mount is, where the temple was first built, first and second temple, where the third temple will be built, and the fourth. While I was praying about the holy mountain of my God, while I was still speaking in prayer, then the man Gabriel, that's an angel, often called men because they always appear in male form, and God uses a gender-specific word in both Hebrew and Greek to describe angels. No women angels in the Bible. Sorry, ladies. You've got another role, more important in many ways. Then the man Gabriel, whom I had seen in the vision previously, came to me in my extreme weariness about the time of the evening offering. Now that reveals several important truths. One, though this man had been in Babylon for nearly 70 years, Babylon was not in him. To use a New Testament idiom, he was in the world, but not of the world. His heart was still in Jerusalem, Though the temple had been gone for nearly 70 years and he was 500 miles away. But the text also reminds me, he prays during the time of the evening offering. Now we think late at night, Jews think 3 p.m. The evening offering began at 3 p.m. in the afternoon. It was the time when the priests would go in and shed blood because God had established a principle that sin deserves death. Therefore, without the shedding of blood, there's absolutely no forgiveness. And if you want to approach God, and if you want to go to heaven, and if you want to have intimacy with God, then you must come on the basis of blood. And Daniel recognized that. So he comes during the time when the blood would be shed. Verse 22, he, Gabriel, gave me instruction and talked with me and said, Oh, Daniel, I have now come forth to give you insight with understanding. At the beginning of your supplications, the command was issued. And I've come to tell you, for you are highly esteemed. So give heed to the message and gain understanding of the vision. Daniel, like David, is a man after God's own heart. Like John, he's a beloved disciple. Like Jacob's son, Joseph, of whom no sin was ever recorded. There is no sin ever recorded of Daniel. Just a few people like that in the Bible. Now, he had sin. He's confessing his own sin and the sin of the nation. But he is one who is highly esteemed. His life is characterized by godliness. The ESV renders it, you're greatly loved. The Net Bible says, you are of great value. The CSB renders it, for you are treasured by God. 
Does that mean God loves others more than some? Clearly not. God equally loves us all. God doesn't have favorites, but as I have affirmed, He has intimates. And if you're born again, you can be one of God's intimates. I think of what the prophet Jude wrote in Jude verse 21, just one chapter. But you, beloved, writing to Christians, keep yourselves in the love of God, waiting anxiously for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ to eternal life. Keep yourselves, or we might paraphrase it, remain in the sphere of God's love. He's not talking about God loving you more. You cannot do anything to make God love you more if you are in Christ, and you can't do anything to make God love you any less. He cannot love you anymore, and He will not love you any less. God wants to change you, not so that He can love you, but because He loves you, He wants to change you. And so Jude here is speaking of keeping ourselves in the sphere and the atmosphere of God's love, because with that blessing comes intimacy. Jesus said it this way in John 14, 21, He who has my commandments and keeps them, he it is who loves me. And he who loves me shall be loved by my Father, and I will love him and will disclose myself to him. The proof of your love is you obey God, and when you obey, God reveals himself. And if your life is not exciting... If your heart is cold and dead towards the Lord and you've really been saved, it's just because you've compromised and you are in disobedience. God, the proverb says, is intimate with the upright. Look again here in verse 23. I've come to tell you, for you are highly esteemed, so give heed to the message and gain understanding of the vision. He's not received the vision yet. The angel Gabriel is about to tell him the vision. Now, Daniel wants more information on the Babylonian captivity, and he's praying about God's holy mountain where the temple once stood. But God gives him above and beyond anything he could even ask or think for. He tells him not only the year the Messiah will appear, but he tells us of Israel's future all the way until the return of Messiah. Now, let's refresh our minds by reading verses 24 through 27, where we get the vision. Seventy weeks have been decreed for your people and your holy city to finish the transgression, to make an end of sin, to make atonement for iniquity, to bring in everlasting righteousness, to seal up vision and prophecy, and to anoint the most holy place. So, you are to know and discern that from the issuing of a decree to restore and rebuild Jerusalem until Messiah the Prince, there will be seven weeks and 62 weeks. It will be built again with plaza and moat, even in times of distress. Then after the 62 weeks, the Messiah will be cut off and have nothing. And the people of the Prince who is to come will destroy the city and the sanctuary and its end will come with a flood. Even to the end, there will be war. Desolations are determined. And he will make a firm covenant with the many for one week. But in the middle of the week, we will put a stop to sacrifice and grain offering. And on the wing of abominations will come one who makes desolate, even until a complete destruction. One that is decreed is poured out on the one who makes desolate. Now, again, on this chart, you get the big picture overview. You can see in 924 on the chart that it deals first with the first 70 weeks. He has looked at 490 years in Israel's past. The 70-year deportation is not by accident. For 490 years, they had disobeyed God. 
They had failed among a host of commandments to keep the land every seven years fallow. And so because they refused to obey God, God was going to give the land rest. That's why it was selected as 70 years. So he's looked at 490 years in Israel's past. Now he is looking at 490 years into Israel's future. So in 924, we have the scope of the prophecy. We saw six Hebrew infinitives, each introduced by that little word, two. You should have them all circled or underlined in your Bible. In 925, he tells us what will happen in the first 69 weeks, or 483 years. We've seen that the Jews have not just a week of days like we do, a seven-day week. They also have a week of years, and I established that on three bases in, in an earlier message. So he's not talking about 490 days. He's talking about 77, 77s of what? Not 77s of days, literally. It says 77s have been decreed. 77s of what? 77 of years or 490 years. In 926, as we discussed last week, there's a gap between the 69th and 70th week. And I'll try to refresh your mind why that took place. If you can't think immediately why, there's then review is warranted. And then in the 70th week, which is not yet begun, a week being one year is seven years long. So that's the big scope of it, all right? Look at verse 25. So you are to know and discern from the issuing of a decree to restore and rebuild Jerusalem until Messiah the Prince. There will be seven weeks and 62 weeks. It will be built again with plaza and moat even in times of distress. So God tells us there will be seven weeks in 62 weeks for a total of 69 weeks, from the issuing of a decree to restore and rebuild the city of Jerusalem until Christ, until Messiah, the Prince, comes. So as you can see on this next slide, 62 sevens plus seven sevens make 69 sevens. Since it's weak, not of days, but of years, 69 times seven refers to 483 years. From the decree to rebuild the city of Jerusalem and the temple, and there was only one decree in all of Jewish history, we studied it from the prophet Nehemiah, it brings you from 445 B.C. to 32 A.D., specifically to April the 6th, 32 A.D. Daniel the prophet is being told by Gabriel from the day the decree goes out until Messiah the Prince, there'll be 483 years. And you can take the, de the day the decree was written, and I showed you this earlier, and you might want to review it if this is new to you. It's not easy. This is not the milk of the word. This is the meat of the word. And you really have to study it and put your mind around it. But there's a great blessing if you'll do that. It carries you until the day, the last day of the 69th week, when Jesus, as prophesied, comes into Jerusalem on a donkey, and he officially presents himself as Israel's Messiah. We call it Palm Sunday. All right? And then the text says, then after the 62 weeks, or you could say after the 69th week, because he's spoken of seven and 62, link the two together. After the 69 weeks, the Messiah will be cut off. Messiah shall be karat. And we saw the word karat is a Hebrew word of execution. And I gave you some illustrations. The Messiah is going to be executed. He is going to be killed for a capital crime. And of course, after the 62 weeks, a few days later after Palm Sunday, 
Jesus was hung on a cross. Then he mentions how the city would collapse. Verse 26, then after the 62 weeks, the Messiah will be cut off and have nothing, and the people of the prince who is to come will destroy the city and the sanctuary. The people of the prince who will come. So first, Messiah is cut off, crucified, pierced through for our iniquity. Isaiah uses the word cut off, and then he describes how he'll be cut off in the same chapter. Then the city will be decimated, the city and the sanctuary. So the last day of the 69th week, Palm Sunday happens. Messiah is cut off. 38 years later, in 70 AD, Titus Vespucian comes down and totally decimates the city. And 1.1 million Jews are slaughtered. So again, from this next slide, as you can see, remember between the 20, verse 25 and verse 27, there's a gap of time. And I showed you last week, I tried to justify biblically not uniquely from this passage, but from other passages that sometimes in a single verse of Scripture, God will cover millennia of time. And there are 12 texts in the Old Testament where in a single passage of Scripture, God describes both the first and the second coming of the Messiah. And before we're done with Daniel and the Revelation, I hope to show you why he did that and what his rationale was behind it. But clearly there's a gap of time between the two because if the 70th week was contiguous with the first 69 weeks, then seven years after Jesus presents himself on Palm Sunday, not only would he be crucified, but the city and the temple would be totally destroyed. But the city and the temple is not totally destroyed until 38 years later, which tells you, well, the gap is at least 38 years. And here it is 2,000 years later, and the events of verse 27 have not yet occurred. And so this is really important that we try to grasp this because this is a text of Scripture that is often abused and overlooked and misapplied even in the day in which we live in. If you look again at verse 26, Gabriel adds, in its end will come with a flood. And we studied that expression last week, with a flood. It refers to an army of great force. It's a military term in the Old Testament. And indeed, Titus came in with a flood in 70 AD, and he decimated the place. Even to the end, he says, there will be war, desolations are determined. What does Gabriel say to Daniel? He says, the holy place where the sanctuary is, the temple is, where it's once stood, it will be a place marked by war and desolation. Has that happened? If you know the history of the Temple Mount to this day, it is one of the most contested pieces of property in the world. 37 acres that people have given their blood for. Even to the end, it will be marked by war and desolation. So right after Palm Sunday, the last day, of the 69th week, a few days later, on that day when they officially reject Jesus, this crowd that says, hail him, a few days later will say, nail him, and they reject the Messiah, he's cut off, and a few years later, 38 to be specific, the city is utterly destroyed. 
And because of that, God has called a time out for the people of Israel. And that's why there's a gap of time. How long is this time out? And why is there this time out? Well, Paul reminds us in Romans chapter 11. We studied it about a year ago in our exposition of Romans. Let me read it to you. Paul said there, For I do not want you, brethren, brothers, to be uninformed of this mystery, so that you will not be wise in your own estimation that a partial hardening has happened to Israel. Because they rejected what God gave them, there was a hardening. And I want to tell you today, and I got three fingers pointing back at me, then you, when you reject a truth that God gives you, believer or unbeliever, your heart doesn't grow softer, it grows harder. And the most important truth they could ever grapple with, and that's the Savior of the world, they rejected it. Not a total hardening, a partial hardening. That's why there are Jewish believers. There are 200,000 Jews for Jesus in our nation. In Israel, in every town and village, virtually there's some gathering of Messianic Jews. There are 12 congregations of Messianic Jews in the city of Jerusalem that met most of them yesterday. This is important because you will meet Jewish people who are responsive to the gospel. Not every Jew is hardened, but most of them are in unbelief. That's what Romans 9, 10, and 11 is dealing with. At the end of 8, he deals with nothing can separate us from the love of God. So the obvious question comes, well, how about Israel? You said you love them with an everlasting love. You seemingly have abandoned Israel. And God says, no, I didn't abandon Israel. Israel abandoned me. I elected them. That's chapter 9, not personal election. It's dealing with national election, how he chose them out of all the nations of the world. Chapter 10, why they are in an unbelief. And in chapter 11, how they will come a day when he will restore them. And that's why he invites every Jew in Romans 10.9, to confess Jesus is Lord. Now, we apply that to ourselves and as to Gentiles, but in the context, he's inviting Jewish people to confess Yeshua as the Lord, as the Kurios. And when will this time end? Until the fullness of the Gentiles has come in. Now, we saw that there are two important distinguishing terms in the Bible. One is the fullness of the Gentiles. The other is the times of the Gentiles. The times of the Gentiles speaks of political domination. It started with Nebuchadnezzar, and it's still happening to this day. After Nebuchadnezzar carried the Jews away into captivity, when they returned to Jerusalem, they didn't come back to, to, to set up a throne. They built a temple. They established an altar, but not a palace. In fact, there has never been another king that has sat on Israel's throne, ever. Why? Because they have been under Gentile oppression. And even when they were born again as a nation, so to speak, reestablished, the prophet said they would become a nation in one day, May 14th, 1948. It ought to be burned into your psyche because it's a fulfillment of prophecy. Even when they became a nation, the Gentile nations continue to oppose them. The United Nations does not recognize Israel's sovereignty over the city of Jerusalem. And so Jesus said in Luke 21, 24, and they will fall by the edge of the sword and will be led captive into all the lands and Jerusalem will be trampled underfoot by the Gentiles until the times of the Gentiles are fulfilled. 
So when will the times of the Gentiles be fulfilled? Very clearly, when the last Gentile comes to faith. It could happen today. No one knows. When the last Gentile says yes to Jesus, when the church is full, so to speak, the church meaning the body of Christ, God will say to his son, go get your bride. And then God will call a time in for Israel, and the 70th week will begin. Well, with that said, let me just say this. That's all by way of introduction, all right? That was a long introduction, I know. (laughs) So what I want you to see today, we're coming now to the 70th week. The 70th week of the 70 weeks of prophecy. And if you want to take some notes, there are three simple truths I want you to get. First, the evil king or potentate who is revealed. I used the word potentate so I could get three Ps and alliterate it, all right? So there's an evil king who's going to be revealed. Verse 27, let's read it again in its entirety. And he will make a firm covenant with the many for one week. But in the middle of the one week, we'll put a stop to sacrifice and grain offering. And on the wing of abominations will come one who makes desolate even until a complete destruction. One that is decreed is poured out on the one who makes desolate. Now, again, this next slide, the great interval, there are 69 weeks in verse 25, a gap of time that is unknown. It's been over 2,000 years long in verse 26, and then the 70th week will commence in verse 27. Now, during this final week, during this final seven-year period, remember, this is a week of years, so one week, one Shavuah, one seven is seven years. And we are told that he, circle that pronoun in the verse, he will make a firm covenant with the many. So we need to ask a question. Contextually, who is the he? Who does the he refer to? Well, it's no mystery. The nearest antecedent goes back to verse 26. Look at verse 26. Then after the 62 weeks, the Messiah will be cut off and have nothing, and the people of the prince who is to come, will destroy the city and the sanctuary. The prince to come did not destroy the city. The people of the prince to come destroyed the city. And so that he is clearly referring to this coming prince. The people of the prince who is to come will destroy the city and the sanctuary. So Daniel recorded that the city, which contains the sanctuary, in the city we call Jerusalem, will be destroyed by the people of the prince who is to come. Please notice, the prince will not do this, but the people of the prince to come will do it. Now, we have 2020 hindsight because we know the name of those, that people. It was the Romans. And so, in 70 AD, Titus Vespucian came in and demolished the place, totally tore it to pieces, totally uh, decimated the city and the temple. Even the most ardent skeptics, those who try to paint the book of Daniel as having been written after the fact, would be hard-pressed to explain the accuracy of the man of metal and the fact that the Romans would eventually destroy Jerusalem. Tomorrow we'll continue our look at the portrait Daniel paints of the upcoming Great Tribulation. To listen again to this or any of the messages in our series on Daniel, Use the Search the Scriptures app for smartphones and tablets, or visit us online at searchthescriptures.org. You can also order a CD or DVD by calling 877-787-7478 
and requesting program DAN15. Tomorrow we continue our look at the Great Calamity. Join us then as we search the Scriptures.